Welcome to A Culture of Innovation. We interview exceptional leaders who embrace and demonstrate innovation. Hear their stories and listen as we explore turning ideas into tangible ways to create value and cultivate innovation as a way of life. Listen and be inspired as an innovative leader. Together, we shape culture and change the world. Culture of Innovation is brought to you by Ridge Innovative, where we practice innovation with a purpose to help companies use technology and breakthrough strategies to achieve business outcomes. And I'm your host, Nancy Ridge, and I am so excited to introduce a special guest and a friend today, Dan Album of Market Impacts. Dan is an accomplished marketing leader with experience launching new products and driving world-class results in global technology companies, including Verizon Wireless, Cisco, Honeywell, consumer packaged goods, and the nonprofit space. He is a passionate servant leader, enabling teams to create stronger internal and external customer relationships with clarity of purpose within collaborative, healthy cultures. A founding co-partner of marketing consultancy, Market Impact, he is the host of the weekly podcast series, Market Impact Insights, recognized by Forrester as a top 100 channel podcast, sharing leadership best practices from around the world. Welcome, Dan. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Nancy. I am so looking forward to our conversation. Me too. And you know... As I reflected on it, I realized our paths crossed in this wonderful technology ecosystem that we both live in. However, I think I really got to know you better when you invited me to be a guest on your podcast, yes. Market Impact Insights. So today we get to reverse the seats. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And thank you, because this is a topic that I know is uh, deep within both of our hearts and our passion and our commitment. You bet the culture of servant leadership. So since going back, though, I want to just take a moment to recognize Market Impact Insights, because since you started doing the podcast back in November of 2018, which probably seems like an eon ago now, you've produced over 108 episodes, all of which cover the topics of marketing, sales, diversity, service, service delivery, and customer experience. And I confess, I'm an avid listener. I've gained so much through the leaders that you showcase. And of course, now thrilled to have you here on Culture of Innovation, but especially thrilled as we talk about the release of your new book, The Impact Makers, Voices of Leadership. Congratulations. Thanks, Nancy. Uh, really excited for the launch of the book. Uh, we're going to formally launch next week on October 12th. And it's really that intersection of my own personal experiences as a marketing leader over more than three decades, really intersecting with the perspectives and the best practices of accomplished leaders from around the world that represent all those different disciplines that you talked about, including company founders, CEOs, heads of finance, HR, sales, marketing, you name it, but bringing that together into a unique, really a kaleidoscope of different perspective, mm. all about with an underlying philosophy of servant leadership and how that really drives better long-term outcomes for any organization. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm astounded at the the level of leadership of these folks that you've been able to bring together from around the world. Each week I go, wow, you know, impressive roster of people. And of course, you know, that that project of bringing it all together in a book, that intersection as you describe it, that is a huge commitment, number one, in addition to being a big accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So what motivated you to write the book? Well, you know, going back to even growing up as a child and and just the great example and the motivation and support I got from my parents, a big part of that was having the spirit of helping others and supporting others. And so that really started at a young age. And so, you know, as I've progressed in my career and then ultimately in launching the podcast and having the privilege of being able to interact and and share the learning of all of these world leaders, it just struck me that beyond the podcast, there was another amazing opportunity to, uh, in the form of a book that could bring in also some of my perspectives but then also extend the gift of all of that learning that was already being generated in the podcast and create the impact makers, voices of leadership that I guess uh, makes it more full and complete and comprehensive in terms of being able to share and enable others to benefit from the collective wisdom of all of those guests. So that was really the driving force. Mm, That's amazing. And, you know, really, Dan, you brought the spark that motivated all of those leaders to want to share their stories. That's pretty remarkable in and of itself. So I just need to comment on that for a second. Well, thank you. And, you know, going through that experience of really uh, asking, and it really is, it's it's taking the risk of reaching out, asking someone who's um, highly accomplished um, if, if they will be willing to join you and, and be able to help you be able to share that. And what I found so many times more often than not, is that people are willing and they'll say yes. Mm. They'll say yes Mm -hmm. if you make the effort to reach out. But I think a lot of people, a lot of us, uh, myself included, I think back over my career, there have probably been a lot of points where I was my biggest barrier and and Mm. maybe I didn't take that extra step and made the ask. And then Mm -hmm. what outcome was not possible because we're not doing that because we put those limitations on. So this has actually been a great reinforcer of human nature, which is, I think, so many more times than not, people are willing and they want to help. They just need to get asked. <laughs> exactly. They need that little spark. And I, I often talk about that in the area of mentorship as well. Uh, I would venture to say that many of those leaders that so willingly shared their stories when you asked would also be willing mentors if someone were to ask them. <laughs> because I see that all the time. People say, I don't know you know, who, who or where to find a mentor. And it's like, look around you and ask someone <laughs> that you admire. Absolutely. And that that's come up quite a bit through many conversations with my podcast guests about the power, and we'll talk about relationships here in a little bit, but the relationship from the standpoint of being able to mentor that next generation and be able to have a true lasting legacy and impact in a positive way in an organization, there are so many that just find that so incredibly powerful. 
Right, right. Well, I, I want to go back to the topics. We mentioned them earlier in both the book and on the podcast, Center on Innovation, Relationships, Diversity, Data, Leadership, and Optimism. Those are some, some big topics. How do you see these things intersecting uniquely at this particular moment in time? Well, I think it's more important, Nancy, than ever in an unprecedented time. You think about the last two and a half years of just the global disruption, the anxiety, the unknowns, the disruption of business performance. I mean, things that seemed certain and predictable weren't so predictable, you know, as we all, you know, ran throughout 2020. And so there was just this upheaval. We've all had this upheaval from a business structure process uh, uncertainty, but then also just the emotional impact of of friends, family that we all were going through, right? From a health perspective. And so in an unsettled time, is there ever a more important time to have strong, exceptional, and servant leadership? I would argue that there was never a more important time in certainly in, in recent memory than to have the, the benefit of, of confident consistent servant leadership, which is about enabling teams and enabling others to achieve maximum performance, to work together and collaboratively to navigate through all of those twists, turns, unexpected challenges, roadblocks, et cetera, to get to a common desired outcome. And so the the macro conditions of the world really presented the unique opportunity to really put that, I think, more in the spotlight if that makes sense, uh, more so in the last couple of years. And in thinking about it, my own experience, and then as I've talked to others, you know, those are the, the six dimensions that, that make sense when you think about um, ultimately being able to achieve those outcomes. Um, innovation, being able to think creatively, to be willing to, to pivot and to take on the uncomfortable right? Mm-hmm. Versus just the norm and the standard and to think differently. And we've had to do things differently and uh, we've had to work differently, right? Mm-hmm. Over the mm-hmm. last few years. So innovation, certainly there. Relationships yeah. in terms of trust, people to people connection, the support from an emotional perspective, from an ideation perspective. We are human beings and we feed off of the collective energy. And so has there ever been a more important time from a networking perspective, from um, a personal, it's really an ecosystem. We talk a little bit, we have before about just the natural analogy of, of tide pools, right? In nature right. coming together, but relationships, diversity, diversity of thought, data, using intelligence and information wisely to make informed decisions, right? That builds confidence. And then exceptional leadership, there are just certain practices that make for a more effective leader. We can talk about that a little bit later. But then the last piece of this, you know, some of these others are about things we do. They're behavioral. Uh And then there's this mindset, Nancy, that um, there's a choice we all make. Are we going to be optimistic as we look ahead the future, as we face maybe um, some big headwinds, the power of a positive, optimistic mindset? It is truer now than ever before. 100%. Yes. And I I really appreciate that thoughtful response. And each one uh, resonates with such a clear, 
clear sound. And at the, the, the overall encompassing, I like to think of what you just described with the optimism is really overlaying everything else. Without that mindset, how do you have innovation? How do you have trust? You know, how do you have diversity or the proper use of data? Yeah, it is, it is that pervasive uh, kind of underlying foundational piece that really makes all those other things really, really happen. You got to start yeah. with the with the optimism and a positive mindset. So I want to touch on the data piece for a moment coming from the tech world myself. So analysts have said that data was the new oil. Remember that? We heard yes. that a lot over the last 10 years. And yet in your book, which thank you for letting me get a little sneak peek, <laughs> I've enjoyed it so much. You cite the amount of data created, captured, copied, and consumed in the world will reach a jaw-dropping 175 million zettabyte. <laughs> That's a, a ZM. <laughs> That's a big but, Z, capital Z. <laughs> capital Z by 2025 which by the way is just too many zeros for me to articulate. But the point is it is overwhelming. So now in this era of the ecosystem, as you mentioned a moment ago, with the new data being trust, how have you experienced using data to build trust and relationships? Well, Nancy, you just really hit on a, a really big point, which is the volume. The volume is there. It's huge. It's massive. It's beyond even comprehension, but also we, we both know we've seen it in organizations where having the freedom to access a lot of data can sometimes be counterproductive. You might think, you know, it seems like, wow, wouldn't that make you more productive? Well, not if you don't start at the very fundamental basic place, which is what is the question that you're trying to answer and having a clear sense or what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Or the business outcome you're trying right, to Right, right. Or what is it that ultimately, what does success look like when you close your eyes and you look a year, three years, five years in the future? What does that that future state, that future world look like? And I've been in, and I'm sure you have, you've seen many organizations that if they don't have clarity around the questions or, mm -hmm. or the objectives, then what you do is you have teams that are just out there doing a lot of chasing, a lot of hoping. Uh, there's data integrity issues when you're trying to handle too much volume because you haven't properly scoped and focused, um, you know, down to what you're really trying to achieve. And then you have the um, internal optics question. And we've talked a little bit on my podcast with some guests about this, where there's a reluctance to want to admit that answers to certain internal questions, maybe it's coming from the board, maybe it's coming from the C-suite, that you may not have that ready answer. But you're trying to stretch to where it looks like you have the answer and then you're relying on bad data or bad interpretation. And the cost of that misinformation is massive. It's right. in the millions, uh, you know, tens of millions, you know, in terms of the global cost of relying on misinformation. So what I found is a powerful example is that one, it's typically not a solitary exercise. Yes, there are people that uh, may be designated in your organization that have a um, data or a research title and that they're, they're really skilled and experienced and they definitely, they're, they're going to roll up their sleeves, they're going to be involved in these data analytics exercises. But it really needs to be a collaborative team effort with the business leaders 
that can really, with with the data experts on the front end, crisply define what questions are we trying to answer. Sometimes it may be a singular question. It may be a, a few questions. It may be answering those questions that gets us to a certain outcome. And the trust builds by one, having a common definition for those questions and that objective. Mm-hmm. And then the the act of working together on the journey in terms of getting to where the interpretation happens, there is a natural comfort level and trust as opposed to a scenario where there is a requester, the requester and the deliverer are working in really strong separated silos. And it's more of a work order request that comes in, fetch me, mm-hmm. fetch me this mm-hmm. set of numbers, fetch me, mm-hmm. go and generate this report. That doesn't breed trust. That That's really more of a service model, internal service order taking and delivery model. But you don't get the interactive and the collective accountability or shared, shared motivation based on working together towards defining the questions, defining the outcomes, defining the criteria for success. So, so some of this comes down to just simply the mechanics of how you approach going down that path in the journey. And that will be working with others, working with other mm-hmm. teams and being very transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you're describing that, Dan, thank you so much. I'm thinking about it as the process, quote unquote, you know, it is the process, the journey that people take together. That's where, for me anyway, I've experienced the greatest growth of trust in relationships. And you mentioned it earlier when you talked about uh, how it comes through support, through ideation, you know, that collective taking the next indicated step together and even failing, I think, sometimes. Absolutely. Um, the Having the strength and the confidence that you're not going to get it 100% right 100% of the time. I mean, that's that's some of the, the greatest sign of maturity of an organization. And ultimately, history has shown that the greatest breakthroughs are as the result of iterative, iterative um, try and fail, mm-hmm. as opposed to instant home run out of the gate. Uh, it just- right just what we've seen in terms of any meaningful breakthrough innovation. So you've got a part of this is a, a cultural uh, acceptance or willingness. And this is back to the whole innovation culture of, um, yeah, there's going to be some failure uh, as part of it, but the long-term rewards are more than worth it. Yes. Yeah. And it's in playing that long game that the relationships have been built for me uh, in my career. And, and also going through those moments where things didn't go as planned. And I, I've often heard customers say that uh, the true test of a vendor relationship is how they behave when something goes wrong. Yeah, it's really uh, the response. The response in those scenarios, of course, you always want to be so proactive that hopefully that becomes a rarity, you know, where you have a disappointing customer experience, but you're, you're right. Don't, don't all of us form judgment and actually sometimes going through a tough situation, our loyalty actually increases. You would think it automatically <laughs> decreases. We know that from online retail or traditional retail, you know, from, from, from food service, restaurant experience. It's amazing the turnaround that on the front end might be a disappointing outcome or situation, but how, how that partner handles it 
can actually increase your loyalty and trust in them. Yes. Yes. And, and again, too, I think it goes back to the mindset because if the, 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 the individuals who are working on the, the problem or looking to solve something or even create something new, if they come in with a mindset that's focused on solution, then, you know, bumps in the road aren't going to matter. It's just part of the journey. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, something else we talk a little bit in the book about uh, in part of relationships and building effective networks. And, and what does that really mean? And we talk about the fact um, that it's not about titles you earn, it's about the company that you're keeping mm. and who you surround yourself with, uh, that that can really be kind of a predictive thing, right? I mean, and you you are going to be perceived, right? It, it just reality as, as humans to some degree by who your circle, who your relationships are. And so the idea of being intentional about about creating that, I'll call it the ecosystem, that circle of relationships. What is it that you really want most from that? And then realizing that that will influence how you're perceived as you go out and try to create new connections. So there is some intention around it, some thought that should be put as opposed to just totally random events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And isn't that really emphasized in our world that's so dominated in many cases by social media and some of the relationships that we observe and others through that lens, we look and see, well, who are they connected to? That's true. And, and it can be very short term in nature um, or in the moment, as opposed to the enduring lasting kind of relationships. So you're right. We're, we're, we, that's, something to be very careful about. It in terms is, of, it is. It's a powerful platform, but um, just need to be mindful that, uh, right. that there is that component. Yeah. And that's why I find that, you know, the partner ecosystems today, uh, the ones that are the most successful is where you have those partners who do get to know and trust each other. Um, as organizations, you know, many of your leaders, I can't remember which one uh, off the top of my head, but have talked about you know, having the, how important it is for partners to know each other as well. It's not yes. just the organization who's partnering, it's the entire group who are working together towards that business outcome for the customer, even if they're coming at it from different perspectives. Yeah. I mean, connectedness is not about just a point A to point B. It's about multiple connections, you know, and, and they can be lateral connections, right? Not just necessarily vertical um, connections. It's a, it's a three-dimensional ecosystem and it's connecting your partnerships, uh, those that you are partner with. And it's just really dynamic, isn't it? You know this because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're yes. just right in that world. It's dynamic, evolving, but the power, the collective exponential power when you do have that connectedness is just off the charts, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's, it's exhilarating, really. And, and going back to your other point earlier, you know, it can really be used uh, for good in a, in a hugely impactful way. And I just want to go back to the book for a second, because there's a story in there, which I particularly loved about you doing push-ups for veterans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and would you please share that story with sure. our listeners and what it means in the context of the power of small increment goals? 
you know, I, I have a very dear friend who is a, a veteran and I, I always appreciate when I'm enlightened to things that I wasn't fully aware of or that I couldn't fully appreciate before. And, and uh, the blessing of him making me aware of just a, a really just, I, I couldn't believe it, but a statistic that, um, and this, this came out several years ago, that on average, there were 22 suicides per day by veterans. That was kind of an average mm-hmm. number. So this is a problem. This is a kind of an epidemic in its own way yeah. uh, mm-hmm. problem. And so he introduced me to that stat, which blew me away. And then he, beyond just saying, okay, now Dan, that I've got your attention, <laughs> here's mm-hmm. something that you can do about it, which is this idea of the 22 push-up challenge. And this is something that uh, was was broadly communicated, a, a challenge that uh, that kind of took off across the country. And the idea was to do 22 push-ups a day for 22 days to honor our veterans and and the commitment to helping our veterans achieve. Um, that the go forward, the mental wellness and the life that they deserve in giving yeah. their service for mm-hmm. all of us, for all of the freedoms that we enjoy. And yeah. I, it touched me in a way. Um, I, I don't have background serving uh, in the military yeah. uh, mm-hmm. or my, my close family don't come from that perspective, but I can mm-hmm. appreciate and, and know what they deserve and they deserve our support, our unwavering yeah. support. And so for me, it touched me. I wanted to do um, everything I could. Uh, for him to come to me and, and give me that gift of that knowledge. And so I took on the 22 push-ups in 22 days. This was right at the outset of the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> and I recorded each of those 22 days. I posted that out on social media. So this is Dan doing his push-ups. So I, I, I was vulnerable, right, Nancy, in that sense to say, okay, yes. critique me on my form, please. But, uh, but I took that on. And, you know, I've always someone that... Um, has been active and enjoy working out. And I work with an amazing, amazing trainer. Uh, we do this virtually, uh, Christina Teasley from Supreme Strength, She's based in Salt Lake. And this sparked the question to her, which is, well, let's, this is great. 22, 22. Could I extend that even into my own journey to achieve something uh, to raise money for this very worthy cause? And so that gave birth to what just internally we were calling the gone in 60 seconds challenge, which is, could we go on a path of disciplined training that would culminate in a 60 second pushup challenge? How many pushups, quality pushups can you do, Dan, in 60 seconds and raise money for this important cause of veterans? And so starting in the March timeframe over the next nine months with a goal of January, the idea was each Friday became push-up Friday during our workouts, where uh-huh. we would st- we started at 20 seconds, and each week we added a small increment. We added one second to each workout every week. So the goal being it's, that it's over 40 doable. weeks, yes, 40 <laughs> weeks, that you'd be at 60 seconds and you would build your strength, your endurance, your mindset, that the optimism, that positive mindset, but you would, yeah. the, it, it, it's amazing when you take an end goal, if you break mm-hmm. it down into small increments of progressive, it doesn't feel as overwhelming and mm-hmm. as unattainable. And so this was my personal journey and experience with the power of what I call small increment goal planning, going through that culminated in uh, me reaching my goal 
of pumping out nearly 100 push-ups in the 60 seconds, raising some money for this really important cause of veterans' mental health, and and really taking that lesson that says we we should be applying that in everything we do in terms of our business strategies and our goals is that if we can try to break it down into these different small increments, we can achieve amazing results by doing that. So that's the background and the story. I love it. That story is so powerful. And what I love about it, so many things, but I would say the underlying piece of it that really touches me is the fact that you put it into action. You demonstrated it. It's not a theory. It's an, it's an action that you made a decision to take and then you demonstrated it. You executed on it and walked it out. And the motivation of course is also really close to my heart. I too come from the exact same perspective. I, didn't serve in the military. Uh, I had one uncle who was a lifetime Air Force uh, he, servant, but other than that, you know, there really wasn't a lot of military in my life. And today, I I sit on the board for the Women Veterans Interactive, and we are still very much trying to solve the suicide problem. And uh, there are two million female veterans today. Yes. In the U.S., and it's the fastest growing segment of the veteran population, and many of them come back from service and wind up being homeless, which is, to me, mind-boggling how we could let that happen in our society. But when I read that story, it, it lifted me up because it reminded me that each little thing, like as a board member, I get to support our wonderful CEO, Ginger Miller, and, you know, each small increment that we take in terms of spreading the word about the foundation, you know, reaching out to a single veteran, you know, telling the story of someone who just being seen and having their story told makes the difference in their mindset and just continuing on to the next day. You know, those little increments are what make change and how people express love for each other and and show it in tangible ways. I just love that story, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's just a powerful example. And just like each increment, each push-up that I did over the course of that nine months, and not that I was counting, but it was more than 17,000. Okay, we did go back and count. <laughs> All right, 17,000 push-ups. But the, the fact is, it's it's like what we do as, as humans every day. All of the the acts of kindness uh, the acts of unselfishness uh, of thinking about others may seem like a single act, but then collectively over time, they become this huge exponential mm. number. And so yeah. it's just, just like the push-ups. And yeah. so if we could get 17,000 servant leadership acts of generosity and kindness um, within our workplaces, as well as in our personal lives for causes like um, helping the veterans uh, think about what a better world we are making. Yes, yes, 17,000 over 9 months. It's possible. And and by the way, did you measure uh your arms after all that? I bet they grew too. <laughs> uh they they probably did. We did not get down to body part measurement, okay? <laughs> Just to be clear. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm a little obsessive about, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. 
Oh, that's, that's amazing. So the title of this particular episode is the culture of servant leadership. And we've been talking about it in a little bit of a roundabout way today. And I know that it's a core principle behind your work. We're, we're hearing that loud and clear. But just to provide additional clarity, would you explain for our audience what servant leadership is and, and again, how it came to be so important to you? Yeah, well, you know, the concept of servant leadership in a formal sense, it's probably been around for about 50 years. I know we were talking off air, Nancy, and, and you've done quite a bit of uh, exploration and research yourself around this. Mm-hmm. But if, if you break it down, the essence of what servant leadership is, it's really about focusing on the growth and well-being of people and the communities that they belong to. So it's it's down at an individual level, but then it's also representative of what can be possible in terms of their broader communities. And another way to think about it is in, in a traditional power model. So we talk about, you know, authority and we talk about who wields the power, right? In, in a senior, a more senior person or a junior person, this mindset is really about sharing power. It's about putting the needs of others first and helping people develop and perform to their full potential. So it's flipping the script on the idea that my worth as a leader and a quote manager of people is about what I bring to the table, what I direct my team to do, what my priorities are. And it flips the script to where you're thinking about how can I enable and inspire and motivate and give the support that my team needs for them to achieve their full potential. And what I found and my perspective over my my long career is that the greatest gift that I could give back to the organization that I was working with was really being this powerful servant leader force that enabled the organization to benefit from the incredible skills and talents of people that achieve their full potential. It's just amazing when you flip the script on that, what can be accomplished. (laughs) It's, you know, whenever something is, is counterintuitive like that, because that's not human nature per se. I mean, it takes effort to take that perspective, especially in view of, you know, the culture that frankly, you know, the world espouses, every day. It's, it's counterculture in a way. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's about having the transparency and the vulnerability as a leader, you know, to stand in front of your team, you know, and I'm using just the analogy or standing in front of your team and basically saying, you know what, I don't necessarily possess all of the answers that are going to enable this team to achieve all it can be. But what I am committed to is being available, engaged, and committed to removing obstacles that may be in the way of each and every team member to enable us collectively Mm -hmm. as a team to contribute, support, and help drive the success of the bigger organization. And that's Mm -hmm. a different kind of dialogue than, again, a more what I'd call a command control back to the uh, I hold the power, you don't, you know, kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear so much humility in that. And at which to me is such a beautiful quality and so misunderstood. Uh, you know, it, it's not humiliation, but that humility of knowing our relationship to others and really understanding how that 
can create something, as you've mentioned so eloquently, you know, as a, as a collective, so much more impactful. Yeah, it's, it's truth. And, and, and as much as, you know, if you're in a senior position, your team members, you will develop, you will mentor, they will certainly benefit from your knowledge experience perspective. And and that will be part of your growth journey. I found that equally on a personal level, I have gained so much in terms of my own growth and development, not only as a leader, but as a person by my interactions and, and the sharing and the learning I have received from each of those team members. So it's kind of this bi-directional growth and development. And, uh, you know, the, if you go in with a, a, boy, this is single direction, power oriented, you know, you might just kind of get through it, but you're probably not going to really have that team blossom, truly blossom over the long term, and really achieve everything that they could have. Right. And, and you might end up alone at the end of it all, <laughs> which for me, yeah. that's no fun, <laughs> you know, and, and of course, you know, the other uh, big principle behind leadership is we want to be able to pass it on. And I think part of, you know, what we're getting to here is, you know, leaving that, that legacy um, of, of all of these fine qualities of listening and caring and trusting for others to, to advance, to innovate. You can't truly innovate without those qualities. And certainly um, leadership, for me anyways, my experience has been, you know, what I've learned and gained through my experience, and that's why I love so much reading about yours, I want to take that good stuff and pass it on to the next generation. And I'm so encouraged by so many of the you know, the people that are coming up right now, this, this younger group, because they seem to really have hearts in the right place. And I don't know if it's because they've been coming through all of this period of disruption and, you know, that challenge has distilled them in some way that's positive, but, you know, I don't always ask why I just say yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that challenges and those challenges have really strengthened them. And, I've seen, you know, a lot of a broader perspective point of view as to what's important. And, and we're, we're seeing it play out, Nancy, before eyes, aren't we, with personal choices being made. You know, yeah. they call it the great resignation, whatever you want to call it. There is an unprecedented number of people that are just saying, you know what, I'm not going to continue to work in a company, in a position that isn't really totally fulfilling for me or may not be a good fit with my overall set of values. And so the the level of toleration of that is not very high. And people are making personal choices to say, even if it's at the risk of some short-term financial pain, I'm going to seek something better and more. And so we as leaders, then what we owe that, if we want to have loyalty and we want to sustain relationships, we need to be prepared to create an environment. That doesn't mean there aren't specific objectives. And it doesn't mean that there isn't accountability for people to do what they need to do in their jobs, but it means that your approach as a leader needs to recognize kind of that broader set of priorities and perspectives and be in a position again, to be an enabler, an enabler for them to be able to achieve the most they can achieve in that. And, and not just kind of come in with a fixed mindset, you know, uh, that, that will create just ultimately the reality is you'll, you'll see people walk and they are walking. 
Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, there's no room for the fixed mindset anymore. You know, back in the 90s, uh, Carolyn DeWick wrote that book, The Growth Mindset, which I love. It's one of my favorite books. And she talked about a lot of leaders over the years who operated on that fixed mindset who were able to get away with it in that time. But you have hit the nail on the head. Today, that is no longer possible. And, you know, the beauty of all this, I think, is you know, it creates a better world for everyone, including the leaders. What a wonderful thing to be able to lead a team who is empowered, who shares a vision, who operates to their full potential, uh, who takes, you know, businesses beyond what we imagine them to be. So with that thought in mind, I always like to close by having a little fun. I know you're down for that, Dan. Always. so what innovation would you most like to see gain adoption it could be anything what a great question what a great question (laughs) and for me i think that innovation that would just have incredible impact i'm going to call it the clock extender okay and so what this is is a device that just there's, it's a metaphysical device, Nancy, that creates a 27, maybe 28 hour day. Okay. And this is going to allow, it's not just about allowing more work time, but it's allowing us to achieve that right balance to where we can put the quality time into our family and our relationships in addition to that important work as a servant leader. So I will be the first person, I will be in the waiting room online with the clock extender. So you got to just tell me where, when, and I am there. (laughs) Well, I'll be right there with you because it sounds like utopia to me because I love the work, (laughs) but man, I want to get out there with my loved ones, with the animals, you know, enjoy the day. That's right. All that kind of stuff. So I'm down the clock extender. Where do we invest? (laughs) (laughs) We'll, we'll be the early purchasers together. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Dan, thank you so much. And and thank you for being with us today here on this very special episode of Culture of Innovation. And I'd like to remind our listeners, don't forget to subscribe at iTunes to get updates on new episodes. And you'll also find us at www.soundcloud.com slash culture of innovation. And be sure to check us out at www.ridge.com innovative.com. Have a breakthrough day and we'll see you next time.